0: So uh, three weeks ago, we launched our little series into Colossians, and it was just sort of to set pace for the year, to give ourselves vision, like what's gonna mark this church for 2023. And the first week, we talked about how, uh, we we covered three chapters real quick. Well, two chapters and a part of chapter three where Paul kind of sets in stone that Christ is supreme and sufficient. And we broke down how there was a polytheistic culture AKA just a culture that worshiped several gods. And Paul makes it really clear, hey, of all the gods, Christ is the son of Yahweh, the one true God. He is supreme. He is not equal with other gods, whether they're idols made by human hands or cultural idols. Christ must be supreme. He is not equal or underneath anyone else or anything else. But then he also explained that Christ is sufficient because There were some people that maybe with good intentions were kind of adding rules that they took from Judaism to Christianity unnecessarily. And Paul, being a Jew who had come to Christ, had to warn them like, hey, you cannot add rules or legalism to the gospel. Uh, Christ's death was sufficient. Um, Every legal demand on your soul was bought and paid for with Christ's death and resurrection. And so he is sufficient from now until you see him face to face, no matter what's in your future. For those that are children of God, His life in your soul is sufficient. And then last week, Paul charges us in chapter three, verses one through four, set your mind on the things above. You have to begin thinking and thinking. I hate when it does that, the little wind sound. Uh, You have to begin thinking and embodying what is already a reality in your soul, that Christ is supreme. He is sufficient. He is enough in you. And so set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Okay? And so, in order to do that, through the rest of chapter 3, verses 5 through 17, he's gonna go, you're gonna have to stop doing some things that bring your eyes down here, and you're gonna have to start or continue doing some things. Last week was all about putting a big stop to some things. But it wasn't for the sake of rule following, it was for the sake of flourishing, if you remember. He goes, man, there's all these things. They are so satisfying in the moment. It feels so right, and it makes sense in the moment. But long-term, they bring death to your doorstep. So you must cut these things away. And today is a little bit lighter, a little more invitational, a little less stop, and a little more start, all right? If you want to flourish, if you want to set your mind on the things of Christ, here's some things you need to start doing or continue doing, or keep adding to it, okay? So today's all about starting. And if you're taking notes, one word I'd give to this is just vision. Today's teaching is about giving your life, specifically your life with Christ, vision for 2023. Knowing where you're trying to go. What are you specifically aiming at, okay? And I wanna start with a question. Who do you think you are? but not the accusatory version. Who do you think you are? Like, who do you think you are? This is a really important question. Thank you for the laughter. Who do you think you are? Who you are and who you think you are don't necessarily have to be the same thing, right? I can think that I'm the shooting guard for the Chicago Bulls and I'm 6'5 and I'm drippy from three. That's not true, right? They can be separate. But who you think you are who you think you're becoming, it will impact who you actually are. So it's really important who you think you are, whether it's rooted in truth or not. Does that make sense? You guys remember being a kid? What if that was the end of the question? And then I just moved on? Yeah, good. Okay. Uh, Anyway, uh, I don't know about you, but I often evoked my imagination as a kid in ridiculous ways. You know, I remember uh, me and my sister, you know, we'd play house in the house. We're already living house, but we play house. We'd have a little sub house. And um, inevitably my sister would do some like, you know, basic stuff. She's like making fake breakfast on a fake stove in this little tiny house. And then at some point I would get bored with that and just become Spider-Man and need to save her from a hostage situation without asking her if that was okay. You know, like, I'm like, you know what? You're making eggs, but there's a gun to your head. You know, I'm saving. And she's like, Josh, no! And we get in a fight and it'd be over. Uh, You know, go to your imaginary place. Um, I remember specifically, this wasn't even in my notes, but I remember growing up, I was on the trampoline with my friend, Chris Spargo, and um, we convinced ourselves that we could do Dragon Ball Z stuff in real life. We convinced ourselves that if we really focused, we could like send energy at the other person. And so we tested it out because we were like, no, this is for real. And so I put my back to him and I'm just like waiting. I'm like, I'm going to feel it, like just hit my back. And, you know, I was like looking at my peripherals to see if he moved. I was like, oh, did you do it? He's like, yeah, I did it. Oh my gosh, it's real, you know? (laughs) Too far. That's why it wasn't in my notes. Um, All right. But it's amazing, right? Like, do you remember being a kid, how strong your imagination could be? And you kind of knew it wasn't real, but you could immerse yourself so much into it. I'm convinced that oftentimes our imagination still has a role in who we are and how we live. Just as we get to become adults, It's just more sophisticated, not quite as childlike and playful. I I was thinking about like the power of our thoughts and how we think of ourselves. And I thought of this experiment that's pretty popular. I think you guys will have, a lot of you will have heard of it. It's the Stanford Prison Experiment. If you've heard of that, will you raise your hand? Yeah, this is a really popular thing. And you all, a lot of y'all go to Vandy so you know more about it and the implications of it more than I do. So grace to me as I explain uh, very vaguely what happened in that study. So it was originally supposed to be a 14-day study, but it got stopped on day six uh, because it was excessively cruel. And all they did was they made a fake prison on Stanford's campus. They chose over 20 men who, I don't know how they tested this part, but who were mentally stable and healthy. And they offered them $15 a day, this is 1971. (laughs) We were like, $15 an hour? That's pretty cheap. No, a day, and I guess they were happy about it. And they divvied up the roles. There were prisoners and there were prison guards. And they they made it pretty real. They got, I'm pretty sure they got the real police department to go to the houses of the prisoners and arrest them, take them to the fake prison, strip search them, like real deal, give them the prisoner experience. So they put on prison wear and the ones that were assigned as guards, they put on the same outfits as the other guards. And so in this fake prison, you could tell who was who. Those are all the prisoners wearing the same thing. Those are all the guards wearing the same thing. And psychologists that are monitoring this could have never anticipated just how poorly this would go, how quickly, especially. Initially, prisoners were resistant to giving the guards authority. And when I say initially, I mean only for the first 24 hours. They even tried to rebel together. They like, I think they like blocked the door with their beds and like, we're done listening to these guards. And the guards sprayed fire extinguishers under the doors to get them to back off the door, barge the doors open, and just like started kind of abusing them physically, kind of. They did. They abused them physically. And so what happened is the the prisoners got legitimately scared and they started to fully believe, we do not have authority in this space. The guards have authority. They're the ones that enforce the rules. And it's really interesting there was this pattern. The more the prisoners gave the guards authority, the more aggressive the guards became. It started out with like simple measures. They would reward the prisoner. Again, these are all in quotations. The guards would reward the prisoners that were obedient with meals and the prisoners would eat in front of the disobedient ones. And all that led to was more submissiveness from all the prisoners. Okay, we gotta be obedient so we can get food. It got worse and worse. They eventually started making them do push-ups and like stood on their back or put a foot on their back and and, like you know, just keep doing push-ups and being physically aggressive. Less than thirty-six hours, a day and a half. Right? Yeah. (laughs) A prisoner began struggling with acute emotional disturbance. And he talked to the guards, approached them. I'm I'm not, I'm doing bad. I'm doing poorly. And they told him that they would assign him to informant status. So, okay, you're gonna be a rat and we'll elevate what you're able to do, your privileges, uh, but you can't leave and quit being weak. And he walks back to the prisoners really shaken and says, we're not allowed to leave. Fully believing, I cannot leave this prison. Seemingly forgetting it's fake. And he starts screaming and raging and cursing uncontrollably until a psychologist monitoring evacuates him out of the experiment. That doesn't halt the experiment, they keep going. And everything just continues to escalate over the next five days. And even the the psychologist monitoring the situation says, it wasn't until much later that I realized how far into my own prison role, the person conducting the experiment that I was at this point. I was thinking like a prison superintendent rather than a psychologist. It was as simple as turning a part of Stanford into a prison putting people in certain clothes and assigning roles. And within five days, it was a real thing. On the sixth day, a visiting psychologist observed all the behavior and halted it altogether and said, this is so unethical. We, have to, we literally cannot continue. They weren't even halfway done with the experiment. What I take from this, I know this is kind of dark, but the rest of it's gonna be hopeful. What I take from this, who you think you are really matters. If you think you're something, you really might start becoming that thing, positive or negative. And I was just thinking, man, we ought to give ourselves more credit for our thought life. You need to give yourself more credit for how you think of yourself. Some of us carry narratives in our minds that aren't true, but they consume us and man, they might just become true eventually. Today, Paul's gonna place an emphasis on who you think you are. He's already established who you are. This conversation is not who you are. You're a child of God. Christ's death and resurrection was sufficient for you, covered by grace. Now he needs you to set your mind to put on the attributes of Christ, to form what you choose to think about, how you choose to live, thus who you choose to be. So we're gonna read Colossians 3, 12 through 17. And again, this is all positive up and to the right for the rest of the time, okay? So this is all about giving ourselves vision to live and embody what is already true in our souls in Christ. All right, Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved... Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts All right, if you're taking notes, point number one, you are not just anybody. You aren't just anybody, okay? To be able to have this conversation today, to give yourself vision for your life in Christ, it's so important we understand that you are not just anybody. I read from a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary this week, and he just so happened to give an example from prison ministry. That was purely coincidence, but it was on Colossians 3, and he talked about his experience ministering to to people in a real prison and and asking about their life story, and he said there was this common thread. So many of them never felt like they had much going for them in their life. From an early age, they felt like a loser. Maybe they were told they were a loser, and so their vision for their life was that of a loser, making decisions that didn't have long-term flourishing in mind. They had no vision for what could be in their life. They were convinced there was nothing ahead of them. And so they made decisions that had no vision, got them in trouble, put them in prison. And it broke his heart to hear how many people just came out the womb in a hopeless situation. It just convinced me what I've already kind of said. Like, it's really important who you think you are and who you think you're becoming. Something I wrote down and couldn't, it's a mouthful. So I I wanna read it word for word. If you don't have a sound understanding of who you are, or who you're becoming, you are a victim to the randomness of your directionless life decisions. Does that make sense? If you don't know who you are or have no vision for who you're becoming, you're just a victim to the randomness of your directionless life decisions. If you wanna diagnose why so many Christians can seem to appear as believers in a dead religion and not as washed and renewed children of God, It's because their thought life is void of their identity. It's still their identity, but they're not thinking about who they are in Christ. And if you're not aware of who you are in Christ, you quickly fall prey to a dead religion. So Paul says, put on then, as God's chosen ones. That's who you are. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. God has chosen you. You have to, in the Christian faith, deeply understand this. You have to understand it's very personal. You're not swimming in a cultural Christianity. God knows you. He knows your intricacies. He knows what you love, what you hate, what you're insecure about, what you're confident in. He knows the desires of your heart. He knows it because he made you in your mother's womb. He knows it because he chose you. And this reality that you're chosen very specifically by God it must in our minds it has to transcend culture and circumstance which is hard because everyday culture is actively shaping who you understand yourself to be but being God's chosen ones holy and beloved must supersede it more than you are male or female you are chosen by God you are his more than you are your race, you are chosen by God, more than you are single or married, more than you're an entrepreneur or a lawyer or an artist or a teacher or a nurse or a doctor, more than you have goals or aspirations, more than you have desires or ambitions, you are a child of God. But this is much easier said than done. Whether you are aware of this or not, every day something is trying to tell you who you are. Maybe a question worth writing down and reflecting on sometime later is, what things or what people tell you who you are? In daily life, what is actively shaping how you see you? What things drag you into the dark world of a comparison that steals your joy? What things are you competing against? What are the things that make you feel insecure or lacking? What things motivate your life decisions? What things give you vision for your life? What are the books, the podcasts, the photos, the videos, the friend groups that tell you who you are? And I promise you, if you're not aware of these things, They are actively shaping who you are right now. It's happening. It's important to be aware of this. And Paul's gonna go, hey, more than any of those things that are trying to lay a claim on who you are and who you're becoming, you are God's chosen ones. You belong to God. May no voice have authority in your life on who you are other than the Lord himself. And you are holy. Guys, that's who you are. If you have surrendered to Christ, if Christ is your Lord, you are holy. Set apart, altogether different. And you are beloved. Loved by your father. And Christianity, following Christ, this is not something primarily that you do. It is someone you are. When it is something you do, you get cultural Christianity. You get the stigma of the Bible Belt. I used to take pride in that, like, oh, the Bible Belt, that's kind of a cool thing to get called. But I'm learning, oh, people have condescending tones when they say that. When being a child of God is someone you are, you are free to see the world as it actually is. When being a child of God is just something you do, and you hear words like, the harvest is plentiful, you cannot see the harvest. When Jesus looks out on a lost world and goes, oh, there's so many people ready to like, call me Lord and come alive in God. If you're not actively living as a child of God, you cannot see that. When a child of God is who you are, you can see it. It's everywhere. Because the Holy Spirit has your vision. The Holy Spirit has your heart. You cannot love your enemy when Christianity, when following Jesus is just something you do. It doesn't work. It's way too freaking hard. You're only set free to love your enemy when you are a child of God. When God is a relationship with you. But again, this conversation is really hard. It's so hard to go from like, how do I not just think these things, but live these things? And I've got a life hack for us. This is point number two. I think it starts with knowing that Christ loved us first. I think there's a nifty little trick that Christ has created us to know that helps us to begin to just live into this reality that we are children of God. This is something we are, not just something we do. Notice in Colossians 3, it says, forgive each other as the Lord has what? Forgiven you. Mm -hmm. That's what it Mm said. As the Lord has forgiven you. John 15, Jesus says, this is really crucial to your walk with God. This will, man, this will shift the trajectory of your walk with God. He who abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. What is the key to bearing fruit? He who abides in me, who is close with me, who sponges up my presence, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If you wanna fulfill like Colossians 3, 12 through 17, this long list of really admirable and, and like amazing things, you like, I'd love to be all these things, it's pretty hard. Start with abiding in the love of Christ. 1 John four nineteen. we love God because he first loved us. That's how this works. We must first be recipients. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, but it's so true. Discipline breeds discipline. If you can just get disciplined in one little area, non-negotiable and do it every single time, you will find that getting disciplined in a second little area is a little easier than the First and so on and so forth. Just like yawning breeds yawning, right? I don't, that was so stupid. That, that has nothing to do with the other. <laughs> uh, over the summer, I was, uh, I was having some issues in my marriage, man. I was being so annoying to my wife. Um, we were supposed to be having these like quintessential mornings, making breakfast, You know, she's at the table drinking her coffee, I'm making eggs. Um, Babe, what, what's God been stirring in you? You want them over easy, over medium, scrambled, like really beautiful. And it wasn't any of those things. Instead, what it was, was Leah trying to have these sweet conversations with me and me being tired and annoyed. End of story. It was just like a little early, and I wasn't in the mood to be sweet. And so I was being rude all the time. And it wasn't like intense or, you know, like, it was just like, hey, babe, did you leave the kettle on? Well, are you done with it? Comments like that. Let me tell you something. In marriage, too many of those, so annoying. And I was just sending them out. <laughs> And so I was really frustrated with myself. I was like, I can't keep being like this. I'm missing the point of our mornings together before work. And so I started praying about him. you know. We had prayer at nine before we had two gatherings. And I was like, man, I'm gonna utilize this space. Lord, I wanna stop being a jerk. I wanna stop being rude and stop missing the point. And so I was like praying. And most of my prayers were like about the external methodology. All right, God, will you help me start taking deep breaths more before I talk? not a lot of fruit there. All right, God, will you help me to like say encouraging words, Morta? But it wasn't, I was angry. I was so aggravated, just petty annoyance in the morning. Didn't like it. And this one morning I was praying uh, here at the Ruby during our 9 a.m. And this was so simple, but I just felt God being like, hey, everything you're praying about is putting all the weight on on your external activity. That's not what I'm aiming at. I was like, okay, I just kept praying, right? I'm not having a conversation. I'm just trying to discern what's going on. And uh, I felt him being like, you don't need to be praying about yourself at all right now. It's like, oh, that makes sense. You need to be praying about Leah. He's like, you don't need to be praying about Leah at all. I'm like, okay, well, now that doesn't make sense, does it? You know, and, uh, and, I, and I seriously felt this. It's like, you need to be thinking about me. It's not about you or Leah like in this moment, I'm sure in other seasons, me like thinking, what, what breathing techniques would help me calm down? That'd probably help me. It's a good way to think. But in this moment, he was inviting me. He was think about the cross. I don't know about you guys, but I'm so Christian, I forget about the cross. Yeah, I've elevated. Once you get Christian long enough, you literally forget to think about the cross. You just think about other stuff, and, which is the central point of Christianity, right? The cross and the empty tomb. And, and he was just inviting me back in. Hey, when you're making eggs and for some reason you're impatient and you're moody, don't think about how to say something nice or how to breathe deeper. Think about Christ on the cross. And as he hangs there to show you his love for you, he's not mad or angry. There's just mercy flowing from his veins down his body for you. He loves you. That phrase, discipline breeds discipline, forgiveness will breed forgiveness. Patience will breed patience. And God was inviting me to remember, hey, Christ has been forgiving to you. He's been, is that the way you say that sentence? Christ has been forgiving to, to, toward you. Anyway, Christ has been patient with you. Christ has been merciful to you. And it was this real like indirect way to like, whoa, it like untied the knots in my brain trying to figure this thing out. And instead of going, how do I be nicer? Or how do I see the good in this? I, instead, I was just like, man, I was just taken back to my testimony. Christ, it's unbelievable what you've lavished on my life. It's unbelievable what you've done for my soul that surely I didn't deserve or earn. And if I ever earned it, I certainly unearned it after that. Thank you, Lord. And I found myself literally on the stove making eggs, just being grateful. And I don't feel like it was like this life hack Jesus juke that convinced me to be nice. I think it literally helped me see accurately what was reality, It was so much easier to access reality. I'm having a sweet morning with a wife that I don't deserve and a house that somehow I have. Thank you, God. Not only did you save my life, not only did that cross save my soul forever, also, how do I get all this too? Whoa, man, you've been good to me. And suddenly, I'm more patient. I'm more kind. And that's my personal, tailor-made, Joshua Soloway example of abiding in Christ, Draw near to the love of God. Draw near to His presence. Sponge, soak in His love over your life. Maybe read Colossians 3 12 through 17, and instead of thinking about your life, think about all the ways that Jesus has shown all of those characteristics toward you first and just marinate. Soak it in. I believe that your life will only be transformed by a deep understanding of what Christ did for you and why he did it. That's a really good one. You should write that down for real. That's really good. Your transformation as a child of God hinges on understanding what Christ accomplished on the cross in the empty tomb and why he did it. And I'm gonna tell you something. For the rest of your life, you never mature out of this way of thinking. It's what's so good about Jesus. He gives us simple things and goes, you don't have to ever stop thinking about that. You figured it out. Just think on that. Until you die, you're good. There's no ladder. Keep soaking in what I've done for you. Every day, come back to it. How much I love you. How much I'm patient with you. How much I've forgiven you. And from that place, we get to number three. From that place, we are free to put on, to try, to go, I'm gonna become more like Christ. And it's not because I'm bound by rules or by legalism or by pressure or by shame or by comparison. It's because I am so loved. I am just soaking in the presence of Christ. And now I can freely, without the pressure of comparison, become more like Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit and his community. I can just go for it. But those first two things have to come first. Those have to come first, okay? God's chosen, holy and beloved. God loved you first. So number three, put on. Set your mind on the things of heaven. The rest of this time is about you getting vision for your year. That's what it is. You do not have to do it you don't have to participate, but this sermon will be such a non-existent kind of bummer if you don't participate in this part. It would mean nothing, okay? So, yeah. So, lean in. We're going to read verses, or we're going to read the attributes of verses 12 through 17, and what I want to invite you to do is unapologetically choose one. Like with the Lord going, hey, do any of these stick out to me? For the whole year, you know, one of the words is patience. You go, you know what? That's mine. What about forgiveness? Nope, just patience. Not forgiving anybody this year, but I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be so patient. <laughs> you won't believe it. <laughs> and seriously, unapologetically, there's like 14 things that are listed. So don't choose all of them. You're not gonna get, you're not gonna get very far. Uh, there's this study um, by a, a psychology professor named Gail Matthews with 270 participants. And she discovered it was around goal setting that you're 42%, we talked about this a week or two ago. She discovered that you're 42% more likely to make progress toward or achieve your goals if you write them down. <laughs> Isn't it nice to learn stuff like that? <laughs> I mean, the pressure of trying to become a better person is just so, uh, like, I love who I am, like just full transparency. I'm not trying to like stretch or grow or be challenged. Like it's not my default self. But if I just write them down, my odds go up 42%, so write some stuff down this morning and plan to put them on your bathroom mirror or your steering wheel or your pillow or tat them on your forehead. Somewhere you're going to see them all the time and your odds will go up basically 50%. Really cool stuff. All right. So again, unapologetically, choose one, two, or three of these things that you want to grow in. So I'm going to read the list that Paul has already put in verses 12 through 17. I'm gonna add my own little simple, succinct definition. And if one catches your eye, ignore me, write it down, and then I'm gonna give you an exercise. Okay, here's the list. Paul talks about a compassionate heart, having sympathy and concern for others. Maybe that's yours for the year. Spoiler, we live in a culture that has you thinking about you more than ever. And it kind of sabotages you because it all sounds really healthy at times, right? There's some toxicity in it. Something happens when we're sympathetic and concerned about others. Compassionate. Number two, kindness. Being friendly or generous or considerate. Someone at The Nine shared, I want to grow in kindness. And I don't just mean the absence of being rude to others. I want to grow in proactively being kind toward others. I thought that was a really good way to put it. It's this proactive friendliness, this proactive generosity, consideration. Number three, humility. Considering others more important than yourself. Your world around you would change. Well, actually I won't speak for you. My world around me would change if I continue to grow my humility. Notice humility is thinking of others more important than yourself, not thinking of yourself lesser, right? Two different things. Christ knew he was the king of kings when he humbled himself and lifted us up, okay? I promise you his identity was not shaken. Meekness, being gentle, submissive. How threatening does the word submissive sound in 2020? I hear that. I'm like, yeah, right. (laughs) You ain't the boss of me. (laughs) I promise you that. I don't, even, I don't even know what I'm being defensive about. Like, maybe it's someone I should be submitting to. Like, you know, like maybe God's like, be submissive to Leah. Like, that's a really good call right now. I don't know. So I hear that word and I hate it. But anyway, so I guess it's probably my word. Mm. Meekness, gentle, submissive. Number five, patience. The capacity to accept delay or suffering without anger. Being inconvenience, and it's all good whether with someone or with circumstance. Number six, forgiveness. Releasing resentment or vengeance towards someone who wronged you. Forgiveness breeds forgiveness. Receiving forgiveness from Christ, understanding you've been forgiven much will really help you along on this one. Love, number seven, love. Deep affection. To act on behalf of, to sacrifice for, to serve. So it's not just like this emotive thing, right? It's with your physical body. I almost said, I almost said making love with your physical, and then I was like, that's not how I want to phrase. Uh, number eight, the peace of Christ. Wholeness, peace means in scripture, to be whole, to know you're complete because of Christ in you kind of reminds you of that that 1 Timothy 6, 6 passage that contentment plus godliness is great gain. He has a big conversation around money and and things and goes like, man, you can just hear the peace in Paul. I have everything I need in Christ. I'm whole, that's peace. Number nine, thankful to the Lord, expressing your appreciation for what you have independent of monetary worth. Just learn to be thankful for what's around you. Number 10, let the word of God dwell richly in you. It's not just read the word, but to learn to love it, to absorb it, for it to exist richly in you. I don't know about you, but that has not been a, just a significant marker in my life. Well, kind of recently, but a little bit past recently. I just realized like I'm reading the word. It's kind of neither here nor there in this season. So maybe your prayer this year is, God, I don't want your word to be neither here nor there. I want it to dwell richly. Will you, I, I need you to help me. I'm feeling the learning curve. Number 11, share wisdom with one another. Share and receive words with your community that encourage, that mature, and that add depth to your relationships. When I read that, I think, refuse the shallow waters. Don't just live in the shallow end. Add some depth to your relationships. Number 12, worship the Lord, whether through song, prayer, journaling, art, just praise God, And I'll tell you, I I didn't learn how to do this really until four or five years ago. My time with God was always me praying, which is great, um, but very request-driven, very I'm sorry-driven, very good parts of your prayer life. But I I learned that worshiping the Lord, I don't have a good voice, but when I'm alone, who cares? (laughs) God gave me this voice, so he's going to put up with it. (laughs) And so I, you know, it's really vulnerable, but I would sing to him and I mean, I, and I ensured that I was in a completely private space when I did this, but I would just sing to the Lord, and I learned that, that man, I, I love singing to God, and and I would just sing prayers. They didn't really rhyme. When they did rhyme, it was a bonus, though. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm singing, and it's so authentic, and then it rhymes, and I'm like, hey, hey, oh, oh, and I write it down like I'm going to turn it into a worship song. Uh, it's awesome. Anyway, Uh, find your way to praise the name of God. You were made to worship. You really were. You were made to tell God that he's just awesome. Just because, yes, he's been generous to you, but even if he hadn't, he's awesome. Creator of existence. Okay, different. Number 13, do everything in Jesus' name. Walk with Christ as you live and breathe with no amen, with no conclusion. That's been one thing I'm really trying to grow in is God, I don't want to conclude our talks. I don't want to see prayer as only this really intense thing I do in a small pocket and then I conclude it and then I go through my day. I want you just to hang with me. Above me, below me, before me, beneath me, all around me, Christ, your ways. Breathe with me, Christ, be in my life. Maybe it's something else. You don't have to be on here. Maybe God's already stirring something in you now, or when we start to pray in a few minutes, maybe he'll put something else in your heart. Like one thing I know he's calling some of y'all into, if not all of you, is leading someone to Christ this year. We baptized 16 people last year, a record for this sweet little church. I would love for that just to be like a thing we look back on like, that was so cute of us when we thought 16 was like, 16, oh my gosh. I would love for that to grow. I wonder who in this room God's like, hey, this little light of mine, why don't you let it shine? You know? You need to start like living out my ways and walking with people and asking them about their faith journey. And just sharing your journey and seeing if they might want to know more about God. Y'all, picture this. At the end of the year, you look back and go, I literally led one of my friends to Christ. Let me tell you something, a solution for Christian apathy, watching someone who didn't believe in God come to believe in God, apathy, gone. You begin to understand that your faith is real. Hard for your faith to seem real when you're not seeing resurrection around you, spoiler. Oh, I wanna keep, I wanna really keep going there. (laughs) Alas, we have to move on. Lead someone to Jesus, man. I'm telling you, ooh, it is so rich hearing them explain what life was like before God. Oh, they make me believe in God so much more than I do. And I'm the one that like led them to Christ. And it's just like, I'm like, man, you're so right. Keep talking. <laughs> they're, like, they're like discerning how to be more obedient. And I'm not doing any of the things they're explaining. And I'm like, gosh, you are so right. I'm dying. They're like preaching sermons to me. All right, maybe you'll be led to... <laughs> Maybe God will lead you to disciple someone else, and it doesn't have to be necessarily like a mentorship thing. Maybe your brother or sister, maybe someone that's just your peer, and you guys are just going to be an iron sharpening iron, but you're like, hey, we're going to be more intentional together. Maybe it's not coffee every Tuesday at 8, but just in general. We're going to help each other love the word. We're going to help each other live in obedience. We're going to confess sin and share the grace of God with each other. We're going to grow in our walk with Jesus. What if your friend group became this like place where everyone is just helping each other come more alive in Christ, not just your pastor or your house church. Guys, God will take the lid off of your friend group. Everything changes when you understand the Holy Spirit will move in your friend group and is not waiting for seven o'clock on Wednesday night or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Everything will change when you will take the box of friendship and just take the top off with the Holy Spirit. I promise you, I am getting fired up. <laughs> Gosh! <laughs> Y'all, friendship can look so different, but only when we're children of God, not cultural Christians. Ah! Maybe you're being called to serve the poor and the marginalized. God will turn our church into a church that really serves the poor and marginalized. I know we're doing fuel bags for Aiken every month, that we're, we're feeding like over 100, 200 families a month. That's our little baby step. But man, I'm asking God, God, you take us to the poor. I don't know what it's gonna look like. I'm immature, I need to be developed, but man, maybe some of y'all are gonna be the ones that lead the way and help me figure it out. Christ came to serve those who knew they were on the outside, It was like, actually, no, you sit at my table. Maybe that's God's call on you this year. Who is unheard? Who is going ignored? And they're close to you. They're within a mile of where you live. Maybe God's gonna call you to minister to them and not from this savior complex, from just like a brother or sister here to be family. As we do this, I'm reminded of the movie, The Patriot. Do you guys know what that movie is? Raise your hand. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, it is a little older. Uh, It's Mel Gibson. And uh, anyway, just old time war. And uh, this kid is learning how to shoot a gun because it's hard times. And they tell the kid, hey, if you aim small, you'll miss small. That's how they teach him to shoot a rifle. Whatever you're aiming at, aim as specifically as you can. So if you miss, you'll miss by a little bit. And so for us, I would tell you, the more specific your goal, the vision for your life, the more accurate your attempt will be. So you might write down, I'm gonna grow in patience this year. And that's fine, but I would encourage you. Maybe you say, I'm gonna grow in patience. I'm gonna grow in patience when someone frustrates me. I'm gonna be patient in those moments. I'm gonna grow in patience in traffic. That is my goal, right? I'm gonna grow in patience when my spouse or my friend does that thing. Bites their nails, it's all crunchy. Ugh, smacks their food. Ugh, leaves a TV on. Ugh, plays guitar at midnight. Oh my goodness. I'm gonna grow in patience. The more specific you get, I'm telling you, the closer your attempt will be. Maybe it's the word of God. Lord, I want to love the word of God more. Get more specific. God, I'm going to try to memorize scripture this year. And I'm going to start here with this verse. Or God, I want to think of tangible ways to not only read the word, but to apply it in my real life. That's my goal. So I'm reading the gospel. And what I see Jesus do, I'm going to do it. That's what I mean by I'm going to love the word of God more this year. Write it down on the bathroom mirror. Boom. Boom. And as you do all this, the more you partner with God and just touch base, God, will you just help me keep growing in this? And just easy going, we're gonna keep doing it all year long. And the more you talk about it with people around you, the more likely it is that you get there. And that on December 31st, 2023, you look back and go, you know what? I ain't all the way there, but I took real steps because that's the goal. We never arrive. All right, there's a Venn diagram I wanna show you. Never thought I'd use one of these. Um, Yeah, so just to remind us, Uh, These aren't for the bathroom. These are just man, woman. Um, (laughs) God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. God loved us first and put on then. These three things have to live together. They can't be separated. So as we set goals for our year, all three of these have to stay in mind. You are God's chosen, holy and beloved. God loves you first. You got to receive that. And with those two things, now we can go all in. I'm seeking to grow in these areas from the right posture, from the right place. No threat to my identity, who I am, comparison, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so for communion, we're gonna put the list up with my little definitions, bow. It's a lot, so you only need to pick like one. If you wanna pick three, I was walking into the car with my wife after the nine and she picked three and I was like, you're such an overachiever, babe, look at you go. I'm so proud of her. Um, So choose one, choose two, choose three, follow your heart, but... I want you to take some time. We're going to take like six minutes to just pray on these. Ask God, Lord, is there an area you want me to grow here? And take some time to write out some thoughts. Maybe like write out a one sentence prayer that you're going to take with you. And then I'm going to come back up and we'll uh, we'll wrap up.